Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 63. As usual, we'll start off with the news. We'll do ideas from throughout the week. We'll do discovery of the coolest stuff around the web. Talk about any notes or announcements and then end with recommendations and the weekly aphorism. Starting off with InfoSec, I gave a talk down at AppSec Cali called Peak Prevention. I think the presentation was actually crap until about halfway through, but uh, the idea is pretty cool. And I posted a link to the slides in the newsletter. So an Austrian luxury hotel plans on going back to regular locks and keys after they had to pay a ransom in Bitcoin to release hundreds of their guests out of their rooms who were locked in by this ransomware. And this is basically one of the top hotels in all of Europe. And it's a really interesting case in point of what could happen if things start going bad with technology. This is a very clear case of someone spending, you know, I don't know how much, maybe millions of dollars to install smart locks in a top hotel. And they're actually going to roll it back. They're actually going to go back to legacy systems because the tech went bad. I mean, everyone's always asking, you know, what could happen? What could happen if we don't fix security? Well, this is what could happen. We could actually see situations where people decide to keep their city or their home or their car or whatever other parts of their lives or their businesses in a legacy configuration because they don't want to take on the risk of connecting it or making it, you know, smart or internet of things or whatever. So I think it's a really interesting example. Russia has arrested Kaspersky's top hacker, Ruslan Stoyanov for treason. Stoyanov has worked with the Russian ministry in the past. He was part of uh, their internal cybercrime unit. There was evidently a connection with the head of Russian's uh, or Russia's FSB CDC, which is their information security center. The guy's name is Sergei Mikhailov, was basically arrested at the same time, and they're accused of working together and receiving money to help foreign governments. So the details aren't super clear on this, but it looks like they were kind of a, a team of some sort, and they were uh, making money reporting information about uh, certain Russian campaigns or officials. And uh, that's not the kind of stuff that um, Russia likes to uh, be putting up with. Sorry about that. WordPress 4.7.2 fixes cross-site scripting, SQL injection, and some other bugs. So if you're running WordPress, make sure you get updated. Trump has evidently continued to use a very insecure Android phone. And when I say insecure, I don't just mean Android. I also mean that it's a very old version of Android and not easy to uh, 
update, probably isn't updated. Bruce Schneier had a comment about it, basically saying, what about activating the microphone or doing other types of surveillance, which is kind of the biggest type of threat that you could think of. The U.S. House of Representatives has introduced a bill called the Security and Privacy in Your Car Study Act. I feel like they could have made a better name. The short version is SPYCAR, to get experts to devise standards for new vehicles, including firewalls and other types of segmentation. Good to see some sort of progress there. Google's evidently so concerned about HTTPS security that they're building their own CA for all of Alphabet. Former Mozilla employee Robert O'Callaghan says you shouldn't be running any AV on a Windows system other than Windows Defender and sort of gives all, all kinds of examples and reasons for this. Uh, most importantly, or what I took away from it, is that AV software digs into a system. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of like a rootkit in some kind of ways. Um, and when you have a secure browser, you also have some deep hooks as well. And the reason you need deep hooks in both situations is you need to be closely tied to system processes, uh, especially around, you know, cryptography and certificates and, you know, security of data in transit and at rest. And when you have multiple systems like that um, on, on the same OS, they can fight and interrupt each other and confuse each other and ultimately become so complex as to become insecure. And uh, what this is basically saying is that Windows is doing this fairly well now with, with uh, Windows 10 and with Defender and that when you add additional AV software, you're actually making things worse rather than making them better. I've always sort of thought that way in terms of finding the best and, and using that. I think the days of just stacking multiple technologies on top of each other, especially when they're similar technologies has passed, you know, five, 10 years ago. And uh, it's best to just, just use the built-in default, especially when you're talking about AV that isn't super effective anyway. Might as well just uh, go with the default, especially when you have such a good situation as Windows 10 and Defender, which, like I said, they're AV and they're still not great, but it's probably best just to uh, use that and not stack multiple things on top. Facebook is now supporting YubiKey and other hardware-based 2FA solutions. Very few people are targets to such a degree that they might have their token stolen, right? So <laughs> it's not an attack that scales very well. So I, using this type of physical access token is uh, a great way to increase security quite a bit. Uber paid a $9,000 bounty to a researcher who found a bug in Code 42's anti-ransomware software. And they paid the money because basically they're one of their customers. Uber was one of their customers. And Code 42 didn't actually have a bug bounty, so they decided to pay them the money anyway, which I thought was pretty cool. Tavis Ormondi of Google's Project Zero said that the only way you can get around the patch for last week's Cisco WebEx extension flaw 
is if there was XSS on the website. And then right after that, he went and found XSS on the website. So that wasn't good. In both cases, though, he said that after giving the information to Cisco, they fixed it very quickly. And he said he was pretty impressed with that. Most companies are still paying the ransom to get their data back. Not surprising. I think most companies are in a situation where if they lose all their data or a significant portion of it, they might just go out of business. So that's why it's such, uh, that's why it's such a lucrative way to make money as an attacker. There's a new phone scam called Can You Hear Me that works by asking if you can hear them. So basically they call up, they give you a pitch and uh, while they're in the middle of the pitch, they say, can you hear me? And you say, yes, they record that. And then they use it to basically fake that you said yes to accepting the terms and conditions or accepting a purchase of whatever product that they have. So uh, the idea is you don't want to be saying yes into a phone when you're talking to a telemarketer. I find this interesting because it'll, I mean, this is the type of thing you can apply to lots of different stuff later on, right? Imagine that, uh, I mean, how hard is it to get you saying yes, right? Especially with this new, like Adobe voice editing technology stuff that I talked about uh, in a, a couple episodes ago. I mean, they basically have it where they can record you phonetically for a certain amount of time and then they could make you say anything with an actual editor. They could just type the sentence they want you to say, and you actually say it. It, it says it in your voice. So how hard ultimately will it be, it, especially around physical proximity, to get people to make you say things um, and actually forge your voice? I think this really means that you know voice authentication is pretty decent right now. Or, you know, it, it's at least a significant factor. It can help. But as uh, time goes on, it gets easier and, and easier to forge voice. It's going to have to be one of, you know, a hundred different factors and not a strong one just stand alone by itself. All right, technology news. Microsoft absolutely crushed its quarterly earnings. Uh, largely based on strong growth in its cloud business. The stock is up over 23% over the last 12 months. They're just doing an amazing job over there. Facebook has hired away Hugo Barra from Xiaomi to become their head of VR. So the expectation is he'll end up working on some VR stuff, um, and hardware-based platform to do VR. I think they need a hardware platform because uh, mobile is going to be driven by the personal assistant. And if Facebook is beholden to Android and Apple to be, you know, to interact with the operating system through the personal assistant, I think they're going to be severely limited and uh, they don't want to become, you know, Amazon with the, the fire, sort of situation where it just fizzled. I think, I don't know how they're going to manage this, but uh, they really need their own mobile platform. 
I think, to maximize their penetration and usefulness. I'm just not sure how, if they even they are powerful enough to be the third mobile option on top of Android and iOS. Oracle has doubled its license fees on AWS. That's interesting and bound to change some uh, incentive structures when it comes to purchasing. Apple is rolling out its new file system, APFS, in iOS 10.3. It's a file system optimized for flash and SSD storage. It's much faster. It has clones, snapshots, encryption, and integrity for metadata. Foxconn is thinking about building a $7 billion plant in the United States. Deep learning algorithm does as well as dermatologists at identifying skin cancer. This is crazy. A couple episodes back, we talked about radiologists potentially being replaced by machine learning as well. And now dermatologists are also getting beat by algorithms. And we can expect this to come to more and more types of things, especially where you're looking at lots of different samples. I mean, you're looking at films, you're looking at, you know, splotches on the skin. I mean, there's only so good that one individual can get, and it just, it does not scale well compared to, you know, some algorithm being exposed to exabytes of skin cancer data. I mean, that's, it's just not, a, uh, a competition that humans are going to win. The Army has picked the Sig Sauer P320 to replace the M9 Beretta as its new service weapon. Alphabet announced a 22% year-on-year revenue growth in the fourth quarter of 2016. People are getting burned out on static site generators. This is where you basically write your website in like Markdown or whatever format you want to use and then it the site gets compiled basically and it produces static web pages which i love the idea of and the concept of because it's pure html it's not dynamically generated it's much more secure it's extremely fast um, but the reason i don't do it is because the power of a cms is just too compelling especially if you write a lot i mean i'm currently writing like between like 10 and 15 articles a week. And I just want to go into an editor and just, you know, think on the page. And uh, there's a lot more friction when you're dealing with a, a, uh, a static site generator. People like to say there isn't. And, you know, they sort of talk about how free form and, and clean and easy it is. But then if you watch, a lot of them don't post. <laughs> And then you ask them and they're like, ah, I just never get around to it. That's because any sort of friction at all that stops you from writing is just enough to stop you from writing. And uh, this article that uh, I linked to here is basically someone saying that. They're like, look, I, I get, got into it because of all the advantages, but uh, over time it's just wearing on me. I'm not writing enough. I'm not writing as much as I want to, and it's because of the platform. And ultimately, 
the thing we're looking for is some sort of hybrid where you get the, all the power of a CMS, um, including lots of other stuff, not just ease of the editor, but all the other power associated with the CMS, uh, especially around, you know, make one change and it propagates everywhere across the site. Uh, granular changes in formatting, plugins, like all these different things you get. But somehow having a hybrid, ideally, where you get all that CMS power, you get the simple editing and the granularity of functionality, but it actually produces static content. That would be fantastic. So the search is kind of on for that, that magical hybrid. Weaponized drones are becoming increasingly common and uh, linked to some footage of ISIS using them. Uh, somewhat disturbing, but definitely worth checking out. I, I think drones, as I've talked about numerous times before, they're, uh, they're going to change a lot of different games, and war is definitely one of those. All right, human news. For the first time ever, we have captured video of four directly imaged exoplanets orbiting a star. This footage is unbelievable. I mean, you could clearly see these planets going around this, this center, the star. The star is around 129 light years away in the constellation Pegasus. And uh, you, just, you just have to see this video. People are more likely to be happy at work if their boss could do their job. This is really interesting research. Seems rather intuitive, I think, to a lot of people. Who are listening. Uh, but if you know your boss has done and can do your job, it just produces some sort of happiness. I don't know if it reduces like jealousy or like the whole concept of why are they in that position. But um, I, I think it could also just be that I, I think the biggest thing is empathy, right? It's knowing that they get what you're doing the challenges you're facing and the trouble you're having. It's not like you're explaining to someone who just has never been there, doesn't understand it. And it could be that the interactions between that employee and that boss are just better because of that empathy. So it's almost like it's not necessarily that um, just because they could do the job is what makes it better. It's the fact that because they could do it, they empathize more and those interactions are just better. So that's, that's my uh, hypothesis on that. Facebook and Google are adjusting their algorithms to combat the fake news problem. That's good progress. Got an article here. You might want to check email less often. There's a uh, piece of research there that talks about how much benefit you get from doing that. 85% of humanity lives under a corrupt government. It's not good news. It is enlightening, though, uh, especially after I just read this book, um, The Dictator's Handbook. Just finished it and uh, talks a lot about dictatorships and corruption, that sort of thing. But 85% really interesting. Only 15%, according to this metric, are actually living in a, in a fairly decent government. 
Paralyzed man regains use of limbs after injection of stem cells. Stem cell technology continues to uh, just really shine for me. I, I think it's very, very promising stuff. Researchers have, cons researchers have confirmed the efficacy of some performance-enhancing drugs for chess. And they actually gave the percentage, percentages of improvement that you got from using uh, various drugs of this type. Uh, one of them was actually caffeine. And I think the number for that was 9% improvement. My first thought was, who is not using caffeine when they play chess, especially at a competitive level, I would be all jacked up. I'm sure there's a diminishing return at some point you start making mistakes, but it seems like caffeine is just magic. Just add it to anything. And water is becoming increasingly expensive in a number of areas in the US. We're talking about like a 40% rise in water bills. And they're talking about particular areas like urban areas, uh, the South in particular, and just uh, prices going up massively. <clears throat> and this could really be an issue for people who have trouble affording just regular things, right? If water itself starts going up, it could be a big problem. All right, ideas. Wrote a piece called The Future of Education. Don't want to go super deep into it, but the idea was that all the different components of education, such as uh, high quality presentations, hands-on training, and then testing and validation and certification will all sort of break into their pieces, their individual components, kind of like a prism with light shining through it, right? It's white light, it goes through, it separates into its colors. I think what we're ha what's happening with technology is the education is going in one part of the prism and out the other side is coming those discrete pieces, right? You have awesome presentations online. You have these, you know, top end universities putting out the, the best professors talking about the, the particular topic. And you could watch them for free. And there's just so much free content out there from the best possible teachers. So that's one piece is the presentation. Then we're going to have like physical, you know, local workshops where you go and build things using these ideas and concepts. Then you're going to have certification locations, which won't necessarily be colleges. It'll be like a certification or it could be like IC squared or SANS or whoever, or maybe some college board or whatever, but they certify that you are good in a particular task that employers care about, right? The people who are hiring, they're the ones who, um, who care how good you are at something. And because of that, <clears throat> they're the ones who are going to be vetting these different certification programs and, and, uh, credentials and stuff like that. Um, the other fourth one is like a social element. So the other reason people go to Ivy League schools is because, you know, you just have Harvard on your resume. It means, you know, you have a Harvard accent and whatever. You actually know successful people and your family has money. So it's like a, a social and a class-based vetting system. So imagine that that would be another element 
of the, uh, the components that break out from education. So if you break it out, you've got the presentations, the hands-on, the certification, and then sort some sort of class, like bottom tooth type situation where it's like, oh, I know you went there. I know you're cultured. I know you are into rowing or whatever it is, right? But there's no reason to have these collapse down into one institution anymore because more of it's going to be technology-based and more of it's going to be done remotely. So that was that piece. So much for not going into detail about it. That just uh, unfortunately happened. All right, what I wrote about data science back in 2013 before it had that name. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, I basically said three components of Oh, I called it three-phased information processing, the IT meta skill. And I wrote this in the very beginning of 2013, so like almost 2012. And I put harvest, manipulate, present. And harvest was programming, APIs and research. Manipulate was statistics and probability in general maths. And present was UI UX design and communication. And the idea was that if you could do, if you could master these three things, then you would have a job. Basically, this is the future skill set of IT professionals is what I was saying. Now, nowhere in here did I say data science or anything like that, because this is before big data or any of that. Um, but I just, I was reading some big data stuff and data science stuff. And I realized that it still broke down into these these components um, conceptually. And I went and found the post and uh, just thought it was interesting that I uh, was thinking about it early on. Didn't quite capture all the different, you know, aspects of each of those three, but I still agree with these three basic buckets. The rules for rulers. This is a fantastic 20 minute summary of the concepts talked about in the dictator's handbook. And uh, I've got the link here. It's, it's a YouTube video. It's 20 minutes, but it basically summarizes almost the whole book and it's done at a very, you know, how they do with like the, the animation that sort of walks you through the different pieces. Uh, definitely, definitely worth checking out. And why open plan work areas don't work. This is uh, not my piece. Is someone else wrote this and I uh, thought it was really good information. I think the title of it was like, why I only work remotely. And it focused on results only work areas or something like that. So it, it was an interesting uh, piece. I think, I mean, it, it's kind of like the rubber band, right? You have everyone was kind of individual then we had this massive open workspace push and now everyone's realizing through the research that um, it's super annoying and everyone's using headphones to try and counteract it. So I imagine the next version of buildings, there will be more uh, segmentation and uh, cubicles and other types of isolation to maximize productivity. I'm surprised 
there weren't better studies to show productivity um, improvements or decreases. I mean, how, I'm, I'm not sure how they figured out that, <laughs> or how they didn't figure out that being annoyed and interrupted constantly throughout the workday interrupts flow and ultimately affects productivity. I, I think they focus so much on the social elements, but the problem is if you're completely isolated and you add a little bit of social, it helps. And if you're completely social and you add isolation, it helps, right? So you just have to manage that balance. All right, discovery. ShmooCon 2017 talks are up. Got a link to that. Twitter security for activists, a how-to guide by the Gruck. Got a link to that. Just read it. It was very good. How to become a data scientist on your own. Really strong list of links and resources for self-educating on the topic of data science. Canarytokens.org. Get free honey tokens that you can use throughout your environment. I think it's a really cool project. Someone came up with a whiteboard sticker for your laptop. You basically just put it on the back of your laptop. You can close the lid bring out your dry erase marker and just write all over it. I was super excited about it for about 1.6 seconds till I realized I didn't want a white sticker on my laptop because I like how Macs look, especially when I get the new one. It's like a black matte color. My buddy Jason got, just got one. And uh, the other one is if you have like this cool diagram in the back, you put it in your bag probably going to rub off while you're walking around. So I feel like there's some design problems, but still pretty cool idea. Uh, how Google hardens their KVM instances. This is a really cool link from Google that talks about in depth what they do to uh, build security in depth into um, all their KVM deployments. Leslie Carhart has done a great piece on removing information from a number of public databases. And she lists a whole bunch of them. There's one I mentioned in the last episode that was particularly scary, but there's just a massive number of them. So you put in your name, you put in anything about you, it isolates you. It finds you, it tells everyone how old you are, it tells them where you live, it tells, you, tells them all your previous addresses relationships. Oh, you're probably married to this person. This is, these are your parents. Like it's crazy good and crazy bad at the same time, depending on perspective. But, um, the recommendation, which we'll talk about later on is that you can actually use a service to go and monitor and clean up all this data about you. And she covers all the different services that find data about you and talks about the service that can do the cleanup. Really good write-up. Um, and it's, it's got a particularly good style that I really love of hers, which is a sort of laid back, artistic, um, just a great piece. And I just recommend you subscribe to her feed because it's uh, consistently good. Great presentation on various techniques used by Office malware. 
specifically Microsoft Office malware. This is a presentation deck and goes into like all sorts of detail about the different ways the UI can trick you into clicking on things inside of Microsoft Office malware. Fantastic presentation. Project Everest, an attempt to build and deploy a verified HTTPS stack. I was talking to someone else about this down at AppSec Cali, actually, talking about working on a next version of like um, OpenSSL Labs or um, can't remember the project, the Qualys project. But um, yeah, really interesting. I, I love the idea of a reference architecture for HTTPS because there's so many components, right? It's, it's uh, you know, you got the ciphers, you, you have like what protocols you support, which ones are deprecated. It's constantly changing, it's constantly evolving. And I love the idea of, I think this is implemented as a C library but um, yeah, this is absolutely needed, uh, not just for HTTPS, but for lots of different things, particularly IoT, which I'm working on this for the IoT security project. It's trying to build some reference architectures for how to secure clients um, in an ecosystem, especially when you have low power requirements, um, can't do full AES you know, implementations or whatever. Do you go to elliptic curve? Like, what do you do? So. Really love the idea of reference architectures for all sorts of use cases like this. My simplified definition of data scientist. Pull this one up real quick. So a um, lot of controversy about what a data scientist is and is not. And uh, I basically did a piece basically saying, you know, Let's abstract away and not get into 40 pages of details about what it is and isn't. So I made a couple of definitions here. Um, number one, someone who specializes in collecting, massaging, and or displaying data in order to tell a story that results in a positive outcome. Number two, someone who can technically extract meaning from information in a way that enables decision makers to make better choices. And number three, someone who can extract business value from data using mathematics and technology. And then I say, uh, importantly, this could be a triple PhD in statistics, maths, and computer science, or it could be a talented graphic designer with some decent Python skills, right? Um, I also read in some other article uh, there's a humus, humorous uh, alternative definition, which says a data scientist is someone who's better at statistics than any software engineer and better at software engineering than any statistician. <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. All right. I've got the best infographic I've ever seen on how to become a data scientist. This thing is fantastic. It's got eight different sections about what you need to study and learn. Highly recommended. Got a project here called Pipe Env, as in like Python, I think, or Pipe, I'm not sure. Oh no, PIP. That's what it is. It's PIP Env. PIP ENV. It's a, a new Python package manager that combines multiple features of previous ones. 
sounded pretty interesting. I haven't used it yet, but um, it's in my queue. Ares is a fishing toolkit for red teams and pen testers. This is actually proxying the calls to uh, various websites and injecting uh, the, the phishing content, the phishing forms and that st sort of stuff into that stream. Looks fairly promising. I'm trying to figure out how it differs from the other frameworks. Going to be messing with that hopefully this week. Uh, Google's infrastructure security design overview. So this is their set of procedures for hardening their cloud infrastructure. Talks about how they use a combination of custom silicon and lots of other security layers to secure systems that are hosted in other people's data centers. I love this idea of when you have to give up a certain level of control, especially physical control, what are all the other layers you could put on top to, you know, get some additional guarantees of uh, increased security, not, not actual security. But um, yeah, very cool document by Google on that. All right, some notes. I'll be at the Enigma conference in Oakland this week. This is a very cool InfoSec conference. I'm super excited about it. It's a single track conference with very short talk times, which I love that combination. I think talks are way too long and I hate having multiple tracks. I think if we could just get giant auditoriums and have people do 10 to 20 minute talks, I think it would massively improve how much really good content we were able to consume in a conference. Um, I hope more people use this model, but anyway, I'll be there this week in Oakland um, at that InfoSec conference. And if you are in the area or are even going to the conference, let's, uh, let's link up. You can find me on the Twitters. There was a ton of interest down at AppSec Cali. Uh, Jason and I were talking to various people about the OWASP game security framework. I went to Riot Games, was invited uh, out there Monday night and talked to David Rook and a bunch of other people on the AppSec team um, about the project. And they're excited about it. They um, we're excited about it. It just, there's so much cool stuff coming out of this thing. One of the coolest things and the most useful is uh, we're actually making a complete database, not complete, but the most complete database that'll be anywhere of all the different game hacks, you know, throughout video game history. And the list is getting so, so interesting. Uh, I mean, just, just kind of a spoiler. So here's one. Super, super cool. There was a um, EverQuest way back in the day. It turns out if you sniffed the TCP IP stream, you would not only see your location, but you would see the location of all the different items in the game, right? So this is crazy. So you would see where everyone is and you could just go and attack them or do whatever. I mean, just think information is power, right? Well, the game uh, people themselves, the admins, the developers, they decided, okay, fine. 
we want to detect people who are using this cheat. So they inject the stream with false tokens, like whatever, pink unicorns or whatever. And um, if you got into chat and asked where the pink unicorn was or anything about it, you were insta-banned. So it's like vulnerability attack countermeasure. So, so interesting. And there's just tons of examples like this. I mean, we already have like dozens of uh, things that we're looking to put in there and we're just going to keep adding to the list. And of course it's going to be open. So uh, we're thinking about doing a Google um, spreadsheet form so people can actually submit other volumes we haven't thought of or didn't remember or have never seen or whatever, but it's going to be a super sick project. Um, the other piece that I talked about before that I really love is um, I'm trying to build a semantic structure for describing the volumes, right? So you could build a, an English sentence with the, the syntax of this person attacked this surface area in order to achieve this goal, uh, which took advantage of this vulnerability, which resulted in this negative outcome for the game. And you could just drag and drop these, these abuse cases and these examples into those open slots to form a sentence. So you can explain to anyone, whether it's a fellow pen tester or a gamer who, you know, doesn't want that game to be bad or to the developer who's thinking about building a game. You combine that with the list of examples and we think it's going to really help uh, gaming security <clears throat> and security of lots of different things. But um, yeah, super excited about that. And it was cool to see a lot of enthusiasm from the Riot folks and uh, some other folks down there at AppSec Cali about it. So expect to hear more about that from us. All right, every week, oh, <laughs> every week I'm going to put out a different message here about why you should read my new book on IoT. <laughs> this week you should read it because it's only available in Kindle and Kindle books are virtually weightless. So that's a major benefit. Um, definitely. Uh, I just finished the dictator's handbook. Why bad behavior is almost always good politics. It was a spectacular book. I learned so much about the world from it, just like the previous book I read, which was uh, Naked Economics by Charles Whelan. I've, my models of how just things work at a global scale has been massively updated by these two books. Definitely recommend it. Got a link to it here in the newsletter. And I'm currently reading Lexicon because given current uh, events, I need some fiction. And recommendations. If you're truly concerned about your data being publicly available and you want to do like an OSINT cleanup on yourself, the service that Leslie mentioned in her uh, write-up and InfoSec Taylor Swift is also talking about is called A-B-I-N-E, a bind or a bean. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But uh, it proactively looks at all these different services and uh, cleans your data out of them. Um, and it's just submitting delete requests on your behalf, basically. But um, 
the, the idea is that you can, of course, do this yourself for whatever services you know about. But the problem, there are dozens of them, you know, maybe even over a hundred of these services, and they're always going up and down. And this service is, uh, you know, designed to be focused on that. So it's their business to know when these services pop up and, and uh, how to delete data from them. So I'm probably going to use them. Um, I don't have any relationship with them. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't be telling you about it if I did without mentioning if I had some sort of relationship with them, but I basically just heard about the service from Leslie and, uh, and uh, Tay. So I, I, I just plan on using it as a consumer. Um, it looked very, fairly cheap. So it didn't seem like it would be too expensive at all. But um, if you're worried about your OSINT footprint, I would definitely look into it. There's probably competitive uh, services as well, right? But um, that's one that I've heard about from them. So uh, the other recommendation, tell your family and friends, especially the more vul vulnerable or gullible ones to watch out for the can you hear me scam. Sounds pretty nasty. And uh, maybe just send an email out. I mean, it's almost like we need a broadcast service for our vulnerable types that just says, hey, watch out for this. Don't do this. And the aphorism for the week, reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Philip K. Dick. Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Philip K. Dick. That is it for this episode, and uh, I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.